Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Wonderful. It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker today, and his name is Nick Graves. And so I'm, I'm looking for him. Did he cut out on me? No, there he is. You moved from your wife. That's what it is. All right, great. Well, you're trying to trick me already. Didn't take much. But uh, he's from Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania, and uh, Faith Baptist Church. Pastor Chad Braley works for him and uh, with the missions and teaches a college career class. He's been there 12 years, and uh, he just got ordained in September. I think that's worthy of uh, applauding. Can we do that? That's great. Thank you for that. He's looking to uh, take a pastorate this next summer, and uh, so this is a good opportunity for him to be able to speak today and tonight. I hope you'll come back this evening and hear uh, the Word of God preached. Looking forward to him and his wife, Ashley, grew up at Faith Baptist Church, from what I understand, and they uh, have met there, and so that's a wonderful. He's all the way from California, so uh, we're thankful that he's uh, in Pennsylvania now and has been there for the last 12 years. Looking forward to what God is going to do today. He's going to come and speak for us, so come on up if you would. Pray for him as he speaks, and give, give him your divided attention as the Word of God is open. Thank you. All right, well, good morning and uh, welcome, and it's a pleasure for me and my wife to be able to be here this morning with you all. And uh, when he said I was from California, I heard one or two. Anybody else from California in here? Oh, we got one. Great. So, uh, amen. We got one one saved, sanctified young man here. So, that's good. <laughs> Just kidding. So, um, grew up there in Northern California and uh, thankful to be here with you all this morning. Uh, really enjoyed being able to worship the Lord in song with you all. And, and here, we'll take our Bibles and we'll get to the Word of God. And uh, let's take our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll look here actually this morning and this evening, if you make it back tonight, we'll look at this chapter, Isaiah 40, we'll look at the beginning of it this morning and we'll close it out here tonight, and Isaiah 40, a very, very powerful chapter, really a very pivotal transitional point in the whole book of Isaiah, and uh, we'll see here uh, some wonderful things because as a guest speaker, it's kind of hard sometimes. I really don't know you. I know almost no one here in this room except for obviously my wife. And, uh, and, and coming in, not really knowing you, not knowing really all of where the Lord has you all. Um, I, I could think of no better subject, no better topic to look at than, than looking at God. Looking at who he is. Looking at how wonderful, how majestic, how powerful, how loving and gentle he is. And that's what we're going to do here this morning and this evening is... Look at our great God. In Isaiah 40, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read down through verse number 9 to begin here this morning. The Bible says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double of all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For in the mount, uh, for from the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice saith, Cry, and I and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it, surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that that bringeth good tidings of get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we have this wonderful privilege to meet together as a church body to worship you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Help us this morning as we take just a glimpse at your greatness. Lord, help us to be changed and shaped by it. Please help us to respond, to receive your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is such an amazing God. He is glorious. He is wonderful. He is majestic. He's powerful. He's great. Here in this chapter, it's a transitional point in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is written in an interesting way. There's 66 chapters, and if you know your Bibles, there are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters of of Isaiah have a, a major theme, very similar to the Old Testament. And then after chapter 39, you hit chapter 40 which begins a a pattern in Isaiah that's very similar to the New Testament. How it's talking about, and you probably even noticed in Isaiah chapter 40, when we read verse number 3, prepare ye a way for the Lord. Talking about that forerunner we'll see in a moment, and how this whole book is written very similarly to that of the entire Word of God, the whole canon of Scripture. We see he's trying to emphasize to these people how great their God is, because they were in a very difficult place, and we, we don't have the time to get to all of it, but they were in a very hard place. They were in a place of really God's judgment, but God wanted to remind them of who he was, of how great he was, of how really we'll see gentle and loving and kind and gracious he is. Now, again, growing up in the West, I was, had the wonderful privilege of being able to visit some, uh, some wonderful different sites, things like Yosemite National Park or the Grand Canyon, things like that. And you see these wonderful, just majestic places. And you can't even quite describe all that you've seen. Has anybody been to Yosemite or Grand Canyon or something like that? Oh, a good number of you. And, and you know the pictures, they don't do them justice, right? You, you see it, it's just so vast and great, and you can't quite put it into words all of how beautiful it is. Here Isaiah is trying to put into words how wonderful, how great, how, how uh, mag- magnificent his God is. And it's, it's hard to put even into words. But this morning I'd like us to look here at this chapter and see our God, to see what we should behold of him. As, as the author here at the end of verse 9 says, Behold your God. What should we behold? What about God is something that we should take notice of? What of God should we take extra time this week looking at, dwelling upon, meditating on, and and letting God shape and change us through the realities of who he is? So this morning, we'll look at two of these areas, and this evening, we'll look at a few more of beholding our God. The first aspect of God that this author is writing to us about is beholding God. 
God's word, holding his word. Again, what a, what a wonderful thing that we have God's word. I mean, think about it for a moment. This, this book you're holding in your hands is the very words of God. It is God's word to us. It is God who has revealed himself to us, and he's shown us who he is through his word. And it's oftentimes whenever you read, I, I enjoy reading, and when you read different authors, you kind of start picking up things about what they say and how they write. You, you get their style, and even if you don't know they wrote a certain piece, you start reading and you realize, you know what, this is probably this author, right? And, and there's certain, certain tells, certain habits in their writing that they have. And God, his word, it expresses who he is. It has certain tells. It has certain characteristics that, that resound through the whole book. What are those characteristics? What are some of the emphasis here that Isaiah is giving to us about God, how his word reveals himself to us? Well, first we see in the first two verses, you'll no doubt notice it spoken many times. We see God's word is a comforting word. It's a comforting word. Verse 1, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God's word is a comforting word. And as we spend time in God's word, God's word is one of the main purposes is to comfort us, to help us. To bring that comfort. What, what are some areas of comfort specifically here that Isaiah is writing to these Israelites? He's writing to these people saying God's word is there to comfort. But how is it to comfort? First, God's word brings comfort because it tells us that our warfare is accomplished. The battle is won. You know, God has been victorious. He has given us the victory. Again, throughout all of Scripture, we can see a, a trademark of all of God's Word is the fact that God has given us the victory. God has given us the ultimate victory. We know who wins. How many of you have read the last verse, the last page? You know that we are victorious, that Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death and the grave, that we have an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ if we've trusted Him as our Savior. We've won, it's over. We don't have to fret anymore. We don't have to worry anymore. Just like the, the, the author here is saying is our warfare, it's accomplished. It's finished. It's done. We've won. We find great comfort as we spend time in God's word, as we read it, find comfort in, in all the places that, that remind us of the fact that we're victorious. God has saved us if we've called on him to save us. We know that truth. In, in Romans chapter 8, the end of that chapter, as Paul really goes on to this, just the, the, this string of praises of who God is, he says in verse 39, says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a long list. There's, he's really saying there's absolutely nothing that could give us a loss, that, that could separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, from his saving work in my life. The victory is given. That, that, that word gives us that comfort. But not only that, 
There in verse number two, he says, the warfare is accomplished. He says that her iniquity is pardoned. We're forgiven. If we have called on Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, we're forgiven. We're saved. There's, there's, there's no loss of that. There's no way we can somehow do something so great and so bad that God cannot forgive us of that thing. God is a forgiving God. And throughout the word of God, we see time and time again that God is a forgiving God. That God is a God of the second chance. We could look at story after story throughout all of the Old Testament, throughout all of the New Testament, of the fact that God is a forgiving God. God forgives, and God has promised whoever calls on his name shall be saved. And if that is you this morning, if you, you say in your heart, I, I have never called on Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. I've never called on him and recognized that he truly is God, that he truly did die on the cross to forgive me of my sins. Can I tell you, today is the day to call on him to save you. Today is the day to ask for that forgiveness. Today is the day to be saved. And so we see that God's word, it shows us we have the victory. It comforts us through that forgiveness. But thirdly, look at the end. He he gives a, a kind of an interesting phrase. He says, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He's saying here that, hey, you did all this sin. Israel, you were wrong. You sinned here and time and time again. But he says, but God gave you double for all of that. He gave you double of of blessing and and of his grace in in your lives. You've, You've done wrong. You can look at Israel's history, and we would all recognize Israel sadly just rejected and rejected and rejected. But God just blessed them and blessed them and, and worked in their lives in such powerful ways. It would be, I know I have taught off and on throughout the last 12 years. And if I was giving a homework assignment, how many of you enjoy homework, right? No one? Really? Yeah, that's what I thought. So imagine if I gave a homework assignment and, and a student didn't do the homework assignment, right? That never happens, really. No, just kidding. It, it happens all the time. But if I gave a homework assignment and they didn't do it, I could be merciful and say, you know what? I won't give you a zero this time. Make sure you do it. Turn it to me tomorrow. That would be merciful. But that's not what Isaiah is talking about here. He didn't just not give him that punishment they deserved. But if I was a teacher and the student didn't do their homework and I decided, you know, I know you, you had a busy day or whatever. Really, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to give you a 100 for the homework you didn't do. Now, that would be gracious. That would be giving something they didn't deserve. And that is exactly what God is saying here. He's saying, you've sinned, you've rejected, you've turned away, but I'm going to give to you double for all of your sin. I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to be forgiving, he says. And God, his word, tells us time and time again of how gracious he's been to us. Of how the fact that, you know, I am undeserving of anything that I've received. But God, he's been so gracious He's given me above and beyond all my needs. He's blessed, and I know in all of our lives, blessed all of us in such amazing ways. God has been such a merciful, merciful God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only by God's grace, I am what I am. It's only by the fact that he's, he's helped me and blessed and given so much to me that I was not deserving of so that I could even live this life. 
Don't forget, as we spend time in God's word, first and foremost, God's word is a comforting book. As you read it, as you personally spend time in this book, do you find comfort in it? Do you look for the comfort that God has promised us in his word? And I encourage you, as you spend time in this book, as you spend time in the Bible, would you look for God's comfort? Would you find the comfort? Would you find the encouragement of forgiveness, of of victory, of God's grace in your life? When you spend time in it, look for the comfort of God. So not only do we see God's comfort, but secondly, God's word is a glorious word. It's a glorious word. In verse number three, he continues, he says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for your God, and then he begins, he uses this, this illustration, every valley will be exalted, every mountain will be, uh, and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God's word, it is a glorious word. And in verse 3, we all know this, and again, it's hard to believe we're almost at the end of the year, and, and that verse, sometimes we'll hear that around the time of, of Christmas is one of those prophecies that Jesus was coming, and we see here at verse 3, we see that God had a glorious plan all throughout history. God had a plan. In this specific verse, he's talking of that forerunner. He's talking of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He's saying that, that there was going to be a man that was going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. There was going to be a man that was going to uh, preach the fact that there was coming a Messiah and they needed to repent. And we see here that this coming Messiah is prophesied. This coming Messiah, God had a plan. And all throughout God's word, from cover to cover, his word is telling us of the glorious plan that God has for redemption. The, the wonderful plan all throughout time. God has not swerved away from it. God has not gotten sidetracked. God has not forgotten the fact that all of the word of God, its ultimate focus and purpose is the fact that we are sinners. That Jesus Christ, a Messiah was needed. That God needed to deal with that sin and it could only be done through Jesus. And the fact that if we were to trust him, if we were to call upon him, he would save us. That is the whole theme and focus of the entire Word of God. You can look at any place in any passage, and it's going to point you back to Jesus Christ. And we see the glorious plan of this book, the fact that God has designed it and has given it to us to show us he has a plan, to show us that he has a purpose in all of life, to show us that God is working in our lives with a plan, with a purpose. He, he hasn't, he's not just caught off guard by things. He's not just kind of thrown off if something takes place in our life of, oh, wow, God says, I wasn't expecting that. I don't know. I got to think about what we're going to do next, right? God's not like that. God knows. He is aware of what's taking place, and God has a plan and is in control. We see God's word. It's a glorious, it's a glorious plan. We see in God's word, it shows his glorious power. It shows his glorious power. In verse number four, he begins using this illustration of of every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be brought low. He talks about all these different ways, these paths that are crooked he's going to make straight. He's illustrating that there's nothing at all that is going to limit or prevent his plan from taking place. Not only does God have a plan, but he's able to actually make it happen. 
in our lives, many of us might think of plans of, oh, I, I want to try and do this or this or this in my future, or I have a plan for some things. But we ultimately don't always have the power to make those plans happen. I talk to high schoolers. I teach high school in, in a part-time basis, and, and as I'm teaching, they have great plans. I'm like, well, how are you going to make that happen? Like, I don't know. like, <laughs> You don't have the ability. They, they want to maybe buy a car, but they don't even have a job or they don't have money. I'm like, well, how are you going to make that plan happen? I don't know, right? But God isn't like that. God has a plan to redeem this world. God has a plan to, to uh, see his word go to all the ends of this world. God has a plan, but he also has the power to make it happen. God has a plan in your life. Not only does he have the plan, but he has the power to make it happen. He has the power to make it truth in your life. And so we see here God's word. It, it shows this glorious plan. It shows the power he has to make that happen. Now, there's an interesting illustration that Isaiah uses just a few verses over, a few chapters over. Take your Bible and turn over to Isaiah 55. It's only a few verses over, for a few chapters over. And he uses an illustration of this power he has through his word. The power he has through his word. And we see here in Isaiah 55, we're going to start in verse number 8, and we'll read down through verse 11. In Isaiah 55, and we see here in verse number 8, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. First, before we continue, aren't you glad God's thoughts and his, his, his intents are much higher, much better than ours? He knows what's going to take place, and we'll see that. Next verse says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please." And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He uses an illustration of of showing how powerful God's word is. The fact that God, his plan, God's word, what he says in it, is going to take place. And he uses an illustration, kind of an interesting one. Now, we we just had rain last couple days, right? Yesterday, we had a little bunch last night, right? And last night, there was rain, at least over in Pennsylvania. I'm sure there was probably rain here, too. Overnight, I wasn't up to see it. But I could see the aftermath, the fact that water had fallen. And he's saying here, after it rains, it seems like all the water just disappears. It seems like it was a waste. Like all that water, you should have caught it. You should have put it in buckets. And maybe it could have done something useful, but all that water fell. It just sunk into the ground, and it's done. It seemed like just a waste. And sometimes, if we're honest, it can seem like God's word. It goes forth. It goes out. It's preached, or it's taught, or it's shared with someone else. And it seems like... It just was a waste. seems like it didn't do anything. Not, nothing happened. But again, with the illustration of rain, just like we know, the rain is very important. Again, I grew up in California where it doesn't rain very much. And by midsummer, it's very obvious it hasn't rained very much because everything's just brown and dead. <laughs> Out here, it rains much. And we know because of the rain, things grow. Again, plants grow, grass grows, and, and animals can get the, the, the food and the water they need. And, and he's saying here, we don't always see what's happening when God's word goes out, but it's doing something. It's working. 
God's word is powerful. Whatever God's purpose is behind it, it's going to happen. It's going to. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. That as we send God's word out, as we share it with others, as we teach it, as we, as we personally spend time in it, God has promised. It has power. It's going to work in our lives. It's going to work in the lives of others that we share it with. God's word, it's a powerful, powerful word. But we see God's word, it's, it, it shows his plan. It shows his power. And thirdly, it shows his person. It shows God to us. Now, I know you're back there in Isaiah 55. You go back to Isaiah 40, and we'll continue on working through this passage. But it, it tells us here that God's glory is going to be revealed. And God's word, the very word of God, can I tell you, it shows God's plan. But it shows God to us. It is God's revelation of himself to us. It tells us who he is. It tells us what he's like. It tells us how he works in our lives. It tells us of God. It reveals his glory to us. Now, this is a very, very powerful, very important reality that God has shown here. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 18, I can't get into all of the illustration for time's sake, but Moses here in this illustration that, that Paul's giving in 2 Corinthians, Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. When he came down, nobody could look at him. He was literally glow-in-the-dark. He was shining. And um, he was shining so brightly they had to put a, a veil over his face because he had been in the presence of God. It physically changed his appearance. He was shining for a time. He was glowing for a time, and, and he could not be looked upon because he had seen God's glory. And it shaped and changed who he was. And Paul's using this illustration here in 2 Corinthians. And as he closes the illustration, he says in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, But we all, with open face, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And what he's saying here is as we behold, oftentimes the Bible is represented like a glass or a mirror. As we look into that mirror, as we see God's glory, as we see who Jesus is, as we see who God is in his word, he says the Holy Spirit of God is going to work through that to shape, to change who we are, to sanctify, to set us apart, to make us more like himself as we see who God is. God's Spirit shapes us more into his image. And as we look to God's word there in Isaiah 40, God's glory is revealed. And it's so powerful because when God's glory is revealed to us, that is one of the chief agents God uses to change us, to change who we are, to make us more like Jesus Christ. So we see God's word. It is a glorious word. It is a comforting word. But thirdly, It is an eternal word. If you look there, if you're back there in Isaiah 40, look at verse number 6. It says, The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Now, like we all know, grass doesn't last very long. Again, it, you mow it, you don't water it, it's going to die, and, and you, you cut it down, and, and it's, it's something that just pops up, something you can cut down. It doesn't have a long lifespan. But then he says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, 
but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's word is eternal. God's word is a lasting book. God's word isn't unchanging. It doesn't, it doesn't sway. It doesn't change. It's something we can really firmly plant our lives upon. It's everlasting. How it was written, how God designed it, how it continues in our lives today, it is consistent. The truths within it are consistent throughout all of time. God's word is a consistent and eternal book. It is something that lasts and lasts and something we can rest upon. Now, this passage here is quoted by Peter in 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of men as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This, this eternal book, this, this lasting book, this book that has consistent truth within it, because let's be honest, we live in a very, very sin-sick world, a world that is, has taken truth and brought it to just being whatever we want it to be. Truth being whatever, however I define it. Truth being something that's constantly changing and constantly being manipulated. But God's truth, it's eternal. It's steadfast. It doesn't change. And it, that, that brings comfort. That brings encouragement. That, that brings stability to our lives. Because God's word is something we can really root our lives in. Because it doesn't change. It is the same. It is consistent. It is something that is trustworthy. Because God's word is eternal. So we see God's word. As we... Before we move from this point, as we spend time in God's word, I encourage you. Are you looking to see God's comfort from God in his word? Are, are we looking for God's comfort? Are we seeing it? Or are we coming to the book and we read it just because we feel bad and we want to check something off our box or saying, I got that done today. And, but are we spending time to actually see God's comfort, to see him, his encouragement, that fact that I'm forgiven, that I have victory, I don't have to live in defeat. That, that, that God has been so gracious to me? Am I looking for God's comfort? God's glory? Do, do I see God? Am I even looking to see God or am I looking just for other things or am I just kind of glancing through the Bible and, and not really taking time in it? Or am I really taking time to see God in his word? To see his plan of redemption? To see him? To see who he is and be changed by it? Am I looking at God's word as I spend time in it, as I read it, as I hear it? Am I spending time in it looking for that eternal truth? Looking for really the eternal God of that truth? Am I spending time in God's word to see these things? Or am I just kind of glancing through it or looking for other things or, or have so many other things on my mind? Or am I looking for God? Looking for who he is through his word? So we see here God's word reveals himself to us. But secondly... We'll see God's shepherding in our lives. Let's look at verse 9. We'll actually read down through verse number uh, 11. And we'll see here this next, next aspect of God. Well, we read verse 9 before, but we'll read verse 10 and 11 as well. Verse 9 says, O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up unto the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, 
The Lord God will come with strong hand, and with arm shall he rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with with his arm, and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. Now, shepherding and sheep. I'll be honest, I don't know really much at all about shepherds and sheep. I grew up, again, in an area that had some ranches, but that was about it. I didn't grow up in an area that had lots of sheep. Now, I'm going to take a guess. Nobody in here is a shepherd and has their own flock of sheep. Does anybody have that? Right, that's what I thought. I mean, around here, there might be some gardens and some, some farms, but I don't think you're going to have much sheep, right? And, and shepherding and sheep for us is not very familiar. It's not very something that we're used to or something that we have a lot of knowledge about. But the people of Israel at that day... They were, they were steeped in, in shepherding. That was a major part of their life. They raised sheep. Not every single person did, but many of them did. That was the way they survived. That was a way that they made an income. And it was a major part of their lives, this, this fact of shepherding. And for them, Jesus is speaking to them specifically in a very, a very personal, a very close way, trying to help illustrate the power and really the, the, the position he's holding in their life. He's writing to them about that he is a shepherd to them. Now, in verse number nine, he begins really saying, Zion or Israel, lift up and and let everybody know that this shepherd is coming. This shepherd is coming for you. And then in verse 11, he begins talking about how he's going to lead his flock. So we see here God, first this shepherd and how he's going to arrive. He says, there in verse number 9, O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up, and talks about those. Look at verse 10, he says, Behold, the Lord will come. And first and foremost, the fact that our shepherd, he might be physically away right now, but can I tell you, he is coming again. Amen. Our shepherd's coming again. He is not gone forever. Now Jesus, he came to this earth, he lived on this earth 2,000 years ago, and he ascended. He went back to heaven, but he is coming again. And here, again, they're looking for the first coming. They're looking for, again, here they're saying the shepherd, he is coming the first time. But we can look and know that he is coming a second time. He is coming back for us. He is coming back. And again, we know that the promises of the fact that Jesus Christ is not going to leave us forever. And whether we live our entire lives and die before he comes or whether he comes while we're still living, we know the promise and the fact and the reality and the comfort. That Jesus is coming again. And here we can have comfort and encouragement. The fact that he's not going to leave us forever. He's not forgotten us. He hasn't just turned to different things. But our God is still thoughtful of us. And is still concerned for us. Is still loves us. And is coming again for us. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Many of you would be familiar. That passage talks much about the rapture. The fact that Jesus is going to come and take his church back to heaven. But at the end, talking about this, the last verse he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That is to be a comfort to us, that Jesus Christ is coming again. It's to be an encouragement. It's it's something that we should be thinking about. It's not something we just put in the back of our mind that we kind of every once in a while think about if, if we happen to see something. It should be in the forefront. It should be something that we are really living through and living by, that we are understanding that Jesus is coming back. It should shape and change the way I live. 
We look at many different stories and illustrations that Jesus himself gave, parables of the fact that we should be ready for his return. And it should change the way we live our lives, knowing that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, but he's coming again with strength. In verse number 10, again, he says, he will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. We've seen his power already, but we'll see it again. God is coming with strength. God is coming with a powerful hand to help and to work in our lives. Now, my daughter, I have a daughter who is two and a half. She's down in the nursery right now. Hopefully she's doing well, right? So, but uh, she's down there and she is in a very independent stage of her life. Um, she's two and a half. Now, I don't know how all babies are, but she wants to do everything herself. And most of the time, she can't do everything herself. She'll maybe want to get something off a counter, and she's like this tall, so she's not getting it off the counter. Or, or she wants to open something, and she's not strong enough. And, and her famous phrase is, I do, or my do. And she says that all the time. And, and she always is wanting to try and do things on her own to show her independence, right? And we are obviously working much with her on that. But she wants to do these things. She thinks she can do them herself, but she can't. She's unable. She's not strong enough. In our lives, so often we, we think we can just do it all ourselves. We think, well, I, don't, I don't need to ask God. I don't need to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do my own thing. And, and I'm, we might not say that out loud, but that's exactly how we practice our lives. We're not in a, living in a dependence on him. We're not, we're not living in a life that is asking for his help, asking for his strength, asking for his guidance, asking and, and, and really depending upon him. But we live lives that are just kind of doing our own thing. And, and when things get really bad, when things get like, well, I know I can't do it. And then, oh, then now I go to God. But that's not how we're to live our lives. We're to live our lives constantly, daily, dependent upon him, dependent upon his strength in my life. He's coming with strength. And his strength is something we should depend on and rely upon. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse number, uh, verse number nine, it says, and he said, this is God said to uh, Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, recognizing our weakness might seem difficult, might seem hard, it might seem counterproductive, but it's the most productive thing we could do with our lives. Recognizing, I, I can't do it. I need his strength. I need his power. I need his enablement in my life. We see God's, we see his strength. But he's also coming with reward. If you look there in verse number, 11, verse number 12, he says, and his reward is with him and his work before him. He's coming with reward. And in our lives, we understand that as we live this life, there are rewards coming. There, there are things we should be working toward. The fact that this life actually does matter. There are things in this life we are doing or not doing that will make a big difference in our eternity. Not in the fact of being saved or lost, not at all, but in the rewards that we would receive. And again, you could go to places we don't have the time to do it in Second, First Corinthians 3, talking about the wood, hay, stubble, those temporal things that we live for so much they're just going to burn up in eternity. Or are we living for the gold and the silver and the precious stones, those really 
important, eternal, lasting things. What are we living for? Are we living for eternal things? Or or are we living for temporal things? What is the driving focus behind our lives? Because Jesus is coming. And he's coming with reward for those that are living for him. But then finally this morning, we see here God's leading in our lives. Look at verse 11. He says, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. One verse in Psalm, Psalm 18, and you can also find it in 1 Samuel, but Psalm Psalm 18, David is writing about God's leadership in his life, like a shepherd, just like this passage. And he says this, he says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and at thy right hand hath hold me up. He says, Thy gentleness hath made me great. Here in this passage, he says in, in Isaiah 40 that he leads us gently. Oftentimes, we don't think of God as being gentle. We, th- we read stories of how he's demonstrated his great power and, and how he, 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 he casts out judgment and, and he does all these other things. We see that, and those are all true about God. But so often, we just completely miss a very powerful reality of God, that he is gentle with us. Just think in your life how gentle God has been to you. God is all-powerful, and God is, could just strike us down for one sin, right? And that would all be justified, but God is so gentle with us. He's gentle with David, and his gentleness made him great. It gave him the space and the room to become great by God's power and by his grace. God is gentle to us in his leading like a shepherd. We'll close with this. Turn to Psalm 23. And again, Many of you would know the psalm. I'm sure many probably even have it memorized. But Psalm 23, as we read this, don't let the familiarity of it just kind of shut you down and shut, shut your mind off to what is really being said here. Look here at, at Psalm 23, and we're going to see our shepherd. And we'll close with this passage, but we see how wonderful the shepherd is for us, how he works in our lives, just like a shepherd does, in guiding and directing and providing for us. In Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to lack anything. There's, There's no need that I have that I will be lacking. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about how wonderful our shepherd is. It's funny, he uses the phrase, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. So often, we're so, we're so hard-headed that God's trying to provide, God's trying to guide us, and we're just like, no, and he, he makes us. And sometimes we feel like, why are you letting this happen, God? He's like, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here, but you're, you're fighting against yourself. Aren't you thankful that God's gentle with us? That he's guiding us, he's leading us, he's providing for us. That even in the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death, even in the most difficult and dark places of our life, He's still with us. He's still guiding us. 
He's still directing us. He's still loving us. And our God is a great shepherd. Our God, we can behold him through his word. We can see how wonderful he is. We can see the comfort. We can see the gloriousness of himself. We can see how eternal and and, and really foundational we can plan our lives on him. We see the fact that he's a shepherd. He is a God that is leading, that is gracious, he's gentle, but he's also powerful to help us in our need. Let's pray and we'll close out the service this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are, who you are. Lord, we thank you that we have your word, that we can see you. We can see all that you want us to see of yourself through your word. Lord, help us to find comfort. Help us to find strength. Help us to find uh, really a foundation in our lives based on the word. Lord, help us to be reminded of the gentle leading of our shepherd. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you are and all that you've done for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.